Father Josiah Trenum, thank you very much for joining us again on this podcast. Hey, Paul, I'm very happy to be with you again. Yeah, Christ is risen. Truly, he is risen. Yeah, we've said it before, but now we're going to say it for everyone else listening out there. Um, and I'm really excited to have this conversation, Father Josiah, because uh, we set out to explore patriarchy on this episode or on this season. And I just found out recording the last episode with Father Hans and Father Michael Butler that we're looking at the at, at an aspect, a vital aspect of a good patriarchy, which is virtue. And I had this idea that there was some kind of connection between virtue and masculinity, that they were they were they were inherently connected. And we found out right from the beginning, Father Michael said, Well, of course they're connected. Like if you just look at the Latin word virtus, it comes from man, vir, which is Latin for man. And in Greek, Andrea, the equivalent word, just basically means manliness as well. And so, and so there is this inherent connection. So that's still kind of trying to settle into my mind. And um, I'm trying to find out the contours of that. And I thought, well, Father Josiah, that's a good guy to talk about uh, manliness uh, from an Orthodox Christian perspective. Um, and especially been thinking about, you know, you situated there in California. It seems like that's kind of like the epicenter where, you know, all of the craziness is coming for. And so, you know, that that's sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, guys doing over there? Um, anyway, uh, but but yeah, so but I, it certainly seems that there's a need for a, a more masculine approach in uh, such a, a chaotic time and, and place as well. And so so I was hoping and the first thing actually I was going to start with is like my very first intuition or feeling when I when I say this thing like, oh, virtue is masculine, is that, oh, are people going to be scared that I'm somehow degrading woman or something like that? So uh, how should I understand this idea that masculine, masculinity and virtue are inherently tied together? And what does that mean about women? Those are great questions. May God help us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, my dear brother, I, I'm... Uh... I've been a pastor for 25 years of a parish dedicated to St. Andrew. I, I, I'm wearing an old cassock with St. Andrew's cross on it and the Scottish flag. And uh, Andreas is uh, St. Andrew in Greek. Wow. Yeah, so you're, you're, Never caught you're that asking either. <laughs> really to speak about uh, our patron saint uh, as a model of uh, true manliness. This question of what is a man... And what is manly virtue? And how does that relate to women? And is there such thing as womanly uh, virtue? I mean, these are questions that are that have are at the very heart of Christian experience for the last two thousand years, and today are almost completely unknown. Uh, our culture has lost any concept of sex and gender. We were afloat in confusion. Feminism, which has been a quest to free women and to bring women into a greater uh, experience, supposedly, basically was an attempt to force women into a male role. Uh, you know, the, the great champions of feminism, the Betty Friedans of uh, the world, what did they do as soon as they championed feminism? Well, they... They got new women's business suits and they put pads under the arms here so okay. that they would look like men. Yeah. 
that they could, you know, carry the same wide uh, shoulder approach of men. It's so sad. It's so sad. It basically adopted the male public model as the only humanly significant one. And the the classic division of public, male, private, female uh, was just destroyed, absolutely destroyed. And the the approach that Christians have taken is that the greatest, the greatest uh, job of all is not being a man in the public. The greatest job of all is being a mother. This is actually what we call the church herself. St. Paul says that the, the Jerusalem above the church is our mother. And the church fathers taught us that if you don't have the church as your mother, you don't have God as your father. For us, motherhood, uh, especially as exemplified in, in the heavenly motherhood of the Virgin, is the is the greatest calling. And the man exists and every other job and every other expression of masculine public labor exists to protect and nurture that so that the womb of the home can be a place where the, the most precious human being, which is what a child is, mm -hmm. eternal being, to have, to have a child and to raise a child is the greatest work on earth. Um, and we exist, we men, we exist to, in every way, nurture and support um, the, the raising of eternal beings and support the mothers whose whole lives are wrapped up in them. And so, of course, with the success of feminism has come the complete destruction of of the the idea of home life, the idea of domestic labor, the idea of childbearing itself, and of the child as the most precious um, reality in life. So what what has happened is the glory of the female has been completely gutted because the greatest thing any woman has done ever uh, is to bear and raise children, and that's clearly shown. Uh, in the fact that the greatest saint in the church, she who is above all the saints, is the most pure virgin, the Theotokos. And what did she do? She bore and raised the Lord Christ, the Savior of the world, and has functioned as his mother, at his right hand, as the spiritual mother of all of the holy apostles and of the whole church to this day. Uh, she never received uh, a check from holding a job in the public square. So she must be a very... A very, you know, she never had a degree from a university. <laughs> mm -hmm. She must be, according to our modern standards, a very insignificant person, and yet she is the most famous and most loved woman in human history. So we're very confused. Uh, our culture is extremely confused. We have no concept of the feminine. We have no concept of the value of a child, of the dignity of family life, of the glory of a man exhausting himself for the upbuilding and protection of the home, these things are are all gone. So if we're going to talk about uh, masculinity, of course, you also have to talk about femininity because without the woman, there is no man. The woman comes from man, but all men have since come from women. And St. Paul says, therefore, we have a mutual interdependence. Um, we're devoted to our mothers as well as we are to our wives. And we very much, in order to understand ourselves, we have to understand the other and who the other is. For us, masculinity in a vacuum of uh, domestic life has been unhinged and has become base. 
So today, when you when when some talk about masculinity, and there's a lot of authors and uh, YouTube influencers who are pumping up men uh, to be masculine, but that form of masculinity that's devoid of virtue and devoid of love for women, true love, uh, isn't masculinity. It's beastly life. Mm -hmm. uh, to become rich, uh, to become dominant and attractive to women so that you, you know, to learn how to seduce them. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's popular on YouTube. I mean, we have we have lots of men out there who are trying to tell us, look, this is how you act masculine. Um, that has nothing to do with our concept of true masculinity. The, the calling of every man is to be masculine uh, and in, it is to be spiritually muscular. That is God's call. It's reflected, for instance, in St. Paul's command at the end of his first epistle to the uh, Corinthians, where he writes to them and he says, act like men. <laughs> I love that text. Be strong, act like men. So for us, the, the model of what Paul's commanding is our Lord Christ. He is the model man. And we don't, we don't see that he was, uh, you know, the center of his life was going to the gym. I'm, I, I don't, there is a place for sports and athleticism, an important place, actually. And it's always been recognized in the history of the church. I've even done some videos and reflections on athletics and the importance of athletics. And St. Paul uses athletic imagery constantly in his writings. He says, I box as not beating the air. You know, I run the race to win, and that is a calling to all, to all Christians. So athleticism has its place, but that is not the core of being masculine. It's really a wake-up call to me when you were speaking about the importance of the mother. And I really had this, like, image of, like, you know, the, the home and the womb of the home is where the springing force of new life is happening <laughs> and, and how vital it is to nurture that, how, how that's anything that, you know, I will ever achieve in my life will never amount to what my children could achieve. <laughs> and I'm already carrying all this baggage with me. So, you know, anything good I can do for myself, I could be doing, you know, by if I'm not addressing my children's needs and, you know, helping them to be making the right decisions in their lives. So I, I, what, I, what it made me think is like, it's so hard as a married man, needing to earn money, needing to interact with, you know, people around in society and stuff like that to remember these things, actually. I get so caught up in all the priorities of my work and my colleagues and, yes. and the society around me as well. Yes, um, that's very and, easy and these do. images are bombarding us of like the muscle size and all these kinds of things as well, right? Um, yeah. I need to stay in shape. I, I, I think it helps me, but I guess it's a tool. It's a means to an end. I, I'm, I like what you're sensing there. For us, of course, caring for the body is important, especially discipline, disciplining the body is important. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, athleticism can facilitate the development of virtue by teaching your body to obey uh, and forcing your body, however you feel, to do what you know is best for the body. So when you need to run three miles, even though you don't want to, to force yourself to do that is very, very important. And that can contribute to the, the acquisition of spiritual virtue, such that when you want to respond, for instance, to an insult, if you're used to training yourself not to respond to impulses, but to pray first and then act in the name of Christ, that kind of physical discipline 
can pass over also to spiritual accomplishments so that you can develop spiritual mu muscles. So for us, uh, athleticism shows in a toned physical body, but spiritual athleticism shows in the expansion of the heart. So most of us have very, what shall we say, uh, small hearts. And for most people, the goal in their life, it's a big accomplishment to be able to choose, for instance, if you're a man, to choose a woman to serve and to love and to sanctify, because that's the calling of a man in marriage. You have to wash his water with the word, with an eye to the judgment, because he's going to present her to Christ. We're called to present our wives better for being with us. Mm -hmm. It's hard. For most men, they have to open their heart, right? They have to push their heart. We have to learn to love our wives like we love ourselves, which is why Paul says, you know, love your wife as you love yourself. We don't have to learn to love ourselves. <laughs> We uh, unfortunately have far too much love for ourselves and we have to learn to love the other. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. That's what happens in marriages. And then you have a child and now you have to expand your heart a little more and get your child in there such that you become concerned with his or her uh, physical health, spiritual maturity, development of, uh, of human qualities. These, these things become your great existence. And the larger that comes and the more uh, attachments you have, your heart grows. And eventually, the goal is to make your heart dominant. St. Paul had such a huge heart that he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, my heart is opened wide. I have you in my heart. And I heard a beautiful word once about the, the goal of the expansion of the heart. I, I heard it actually from our, our mutual friend, uh, Father Zacharias, mm -hmm. uh, the spiritual son of St. Sophronian, the great spiritual father at, in, at Essex at St. John the Baptist Monastery. He said the goal of human life is for the human person to become all heart, 100%. Your heart becomes dominant in your whole life, and you put the world in there. That's what St. Silouan did. He he actually he left the world so that he could connect himself to Christ and then join with Christ in embracing the world and putting the, the burden of the world inside of his heart. This is true monasticism. So I... I I absolutely uh, support the idea of a definition of manliness that has at its core uh, Christ as our model. Mm -hmm. And that means a, a, leader, a leadership that is voluntary slavery, right? If you want to go up, you have to go down if you want to be a masculine man. Mm -hmm. And it's far harder to do that, Paul, than it is to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. It's far harder than that to become a master of some physical discipline it's important to master what you're called to for sure but to actually learn to to sacrifice and to be a, a to consider a virtue to be voluntary slavery to someone else if you love someone you have to follow christ and that means being the servant of all if you want to be great jesus doesn't say you shouldn't want to be great he doesn't say that mm -hmm. he, he it's good to want to be great you just have to define greatness and great masculinity, we could also say, you have to define that according to how he defines it. And greatness is defined by who you serve. Yeah. Can I dive into what I'm hearing kind of three separate areas where one can work on developing virtue and masculinity and and the heart, I guess. Um, one of them, I think it's probably the most basic, simple, is with, with some kind of like, you know, athletics or, or training. Um, the next one is... Uh, what I 
what I is like your your marriage relationship. I I find that to be probably that maybe that's the most advanced one for me. I would say, and then there's one in the middle which I would say is like my brotherhood with with other guys, where I can I'm able to build up to to strengthen, and it, it seems like that's a place where I can really draw on a lot and get a lot of energy from. Um, if I started with the first one, um, I grew up uh, doing martial arts. I did a lot of judo when I was when I was a kid, uh, and. I don't know why. Maybe I, I was a younger brother, so I got to be a bit boisterous or something like that. But I, I, there's something of a fighter inside of me as well. Um, and so uh, I, I, there's a part of me that seems to enjoy fighting. And if I don't, if I'm not aware of that, then it, it, I can channel. It can come out in all kinds of bad and negative ways. You know, argumentativeness and you know all this, whatever it can go in. What I'm doing these days is I actually signed up for the the, the National Home Guard, uh, and I'm I found the most aggressive, challenging military training that I can possibly go to is incredibly valuable for me to the thing of teaching myself discipline and and learning how to how to use that. Um, so does that sound like a a, a good thing? And, and I don't know, is there something good about the fighting spirits or you know this kind of like you know a lot of men have been warriors through time, right? So. Oh, it's a wonderful question. So let me respond in answering that and commenting on your three areas yeah. by first pointing out that the most important area, if you want to become masculine, the most important thing you have to do is enthrone the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and become his, be bound to him and partake of his most pure body and his most precious blood in the Holy Eucharist, because every good thing flows from that true masculinity comes from the eucharist mm -hmm. the eucharist is the place where you actually join yourself and consume the deified flesh of christ mm -hmm. and if you want to be who you need to be as a man and what you're really called to be as a man everything flows from the eucharist everything from, flows from the liturgy there's no becoming a man outside the church i'm sorry it's not going to happen because you're not connected to the true man so connect yourself to the true man, find your way to Christ, which means, of course, you don't do that individualistically. You may, you may experience him, you may encounter him as an individual, like Cornelius the Centurion. Now that is an incredible man. He's a manly man. He had tons of soldiers under, and he was a fighter like you. And yet, and he, and he feared God, he wanted to know God, he admired the Jews from a distance. He began to imitate their practices in his home. And then by praying to God at the hours of prayer, interestingly, as he was copying the Jewish practice, uh, God was so respect. God so respected him and honored him that he sent an angel to him. He said, look, what you're doing is good. God has heard your prayer. He didn't say, oh, now we're friends. You know, God heard you. You, you prayed to him in your closet. Everything's great. He didn't. He said, you need to find the apostles. And so he said, go to Ta Simon the Tanner's house. You're going to meet a man there named Peter. Do what he says. So his servant went, he brought Peter back. Peter discovered who this man was, which was quite a shock for Peter, of course, because this man was a pagan Gentile and the Jews weren't supposed to mix with them. Just before hearing this news, Peter had seen that vision of the sheet that God gave him to show that that division between Jew and Gentile was passe. It was gone. He heard the words when he saw all the unclean animals, rise, Peter, kill and eat three times. And he got the message that those separation laws between the Jew and the Gentile are over. That prepared him to receive Cornelius, and Cornelius was then joined to the church. So it's a good model for us. So the individual quest is honored by God. The mm -hmm. true prayer with a good intention is respected. 
But the solution is not to remain an individual where you just have some sort of spiritual encounter with Christ on your terms. No, it's to come to the apostolic band, to be joined to the church through holy baptism, and then you become part of community, the chief community in your life. And you remain attached to Christ because everything good comes from Christ. And without him, you can literally do nothing. That's his words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're going to try, if you're trying to be a man and you're trying to be masculine, give it up if you're going to do it apart from Christ. It's not going to happen. Join yourself to the real man and then let him inform you about how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be an athlete, how to be a workman and to take all of those areas in their proper sphere uh, correctly. So that's my just my initial volley to make sure we we're f we're flowing from the true center, and yeah. where it's really, where it's really going to come from. Let me yeah. answer your let me yeah. answer your warrior your warrior concept. So uh, we have an entire uh, type of saint, a prototype of saint called the warrior saints. So being a warrior uh, is basic for all men. All men are called to defend and to protect uh, their wife, their children, their parents, the elders in their community. That is uh, just what men do. And God has fitted us in every way, both with uh, an interior mentality um, uh, uh, of, of, a, of uh, an, an aggression that can be harnessed for good. Uh, and that is an important qualification in in male aggression. It has to be harnessed for good, according to how God defines goodness. But this is our this is our task: is to be protectors. And this was always codified in custom uh, amongst uh, Christian culture. So, for instance, we have a whole way of relating to our wives and to women. Uh, we we guard them and protect them uh, as we walk. I was literally just yesterday making a reflection for some of my folks about the custom of how to protect your wife and how why why we hold doors for our women, why we stand up when they come into the room, why we seat them in their chairs, why when we walk with them, we walk with them. If there's any threat, if you're near a street, the man always walks close to the street and he has his woman away from the street. If there's any vulgarity that appears, we put ourselves in front of our women in order to protect them and we help escort them out of any circumstance that would be, you know, inappropriate or disrespectful to them because we honor we honor their presence. We also die for them. We literally go and fight enemies uh, in order to protect them. And it's the greatest shame for a man to allow a woman, let, let alone his mother or his wife, to fight for him or die for him. That is shame, shame, shame. The idea that we currently have in the West that women should be in combat roles in the military is completely grotesque. Completely grotesque. A complete attack on femininity and a complete attack on masculinity besides the fact of being just practically dangerous. It has lowered the standards of what a warrior is uh, so, so grievously that uh, we are now unable in the West, in our Western military, to maintain a fighting force that is equal to what traditional fighting forces in the West have been in the past, because we won't hold uh, a discipline standard uh, that we should for men, because women can't meet that standard of strength and discipline and pain endurance. And the result of that is that we've lowered the standard, which is a terrible 
terrible thing to do. So yes, we for us, you see how being connected to Christ, defining human masculinity through him, having a traditional Christian view of the role of a man towards his woman and towards the feminine in society and with the public and the private distinction, this is basic for us. Mm -hmm. Funny you say that. In, in Denmark, they've just uh, right now passing laws to make uh, conscription not just possible, but mandatory for, for women on an equal footing with men. Uh, right now, it can be voluntary for women to join conscription, but now they, now it's going to be completely equal to men. Um, I've also it's just been... Uh, there, there will, I, I really think that there will be a tremendous uh, uproar the, the number of Christians in our society is still of such number that the idea that our daughters will have to serve in the military, there will absolutely be civil disobedience. I, I know in America, I can speak for, for what I see here. Well, there the is no that, that here in Europe, we, we kind of have this idea that money... Here in Europe, we have this idea that money and technology is going to do it all for us. So that we don't even have to put lives... Like, we can just send a Ukrainians to go die down there, but like we try not... like hear about that but but like that that's the big fear because right right now there's just complete political consensus about mandatory female conscription um just like there was for so i've just been we've just had a son being born uh and the U eu has now also passed a mandatory uh half half 50 50 shared parental leave for mothers and fathers within the first nine months of the child's life and I, every single father I know who I've spoken to about it agrees with me. Even the most secular feminist men that I know, they're just like, you know, I'm useless. I'm useless. Like, you know, give the boy to me when he's 13 years old, then I could do something fun with him. But like, you know, right now he wants, I don't have breasts, you know, like he wants his mom. He needs his mom. Um, but this has been passed and it's it's you not know, brother, actually I, possible to talk about it politically here. You're You're stirring my mind. I remember when, when the ISIS war broke out in Syria around 2011, I had been in Syria just a few months before, uh, staying in the in the south of Syria, visiting uh, the Orthodox there. We we stayed with uh, a man, Metropolitan Saba, who is now actually my new Metropolitan here in America. Mm -hmm. He came. He was he was the Metropolitan of Bosra and Haran, the the most southern metropolis in Syria, and. Uh, we left just before the war broke out. And when the war broke out, I remember an incredible incident where some ISIS soldiers were in combat with some American soldiers and they captured a female American soldier. Hmm. And the men barely escaped with their lives. And she was taken and kept hostage in a hospital. They liked to do that because they thought they could keep from being bombed out if they were in a hospital. And interestingly, all of the men who were in her you know squadron immediately demanded to be to go and rescue her instantaneously without any rest they never would have done that just for one male colleague mm -hmm. but because she was a woman and she was a female and they were they feared for what would be done to her they immediately dropped everything and got permission and went and rescued her yeah. and i thought to myself you know we want to talk about uh, this as though some men and women, there's really not the big difference and they, they're equal. It's in us. And it was in those men. There is no way, whatever the official orders were, they didn't apply in that circumstance very clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we could talk a lot about war and conflict, but let's uh, stay on the concept. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the other category 
that we've spoken quite a bit about on the Iron Sharpens Iron podcast is uh, male fellowship, brotherhood. Um, and Father Hans spoke a bit last time about, I think it's John Chrysostom who, who talks about the connection between love and virtue and how men can build each other up in virtue um, through, through love. And that there's this kind of like natural affinity between these things, especially within the brotherhood. Um, and so one of the things that I have a difficulty with, um, and I think this plays into all of these other areas as well, is that I'm living in a place where there's very few Orthodox Christians, there's none, um, especially none that, you know, speak my own language. Um, and, and just, it's a, it's an incredibly secular place, right? So, uh, I, you know, I'm most of my life, I'm around people who, who aren't, uh, don't share my faith as well. And so how does one build brotherhood, uh, or find supportive male relationships with guys you know, sometimes you'll find good guys in the church. What a blessing. Wow. Sometimes you'll find you, you'll be like mainly old ladies in some parishes, right? Uh, or or something like that. So it can be hard sometimes. And and so we're, I'm looking always for like good men around me. Um, but it, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. No. Maybe I'm also judgmental and who knows what about it, right? But like, you know. Yeah. Well, let's hope not. But to desire brotherhood a true masculine kinonia this is absolutely natural mm -hmm. uh, and friend friendship from god this is uh precious absolutely precious yeah you know this life brother is in every area it is a gymnasium it is a wrestling school mm -hmm. as a matter of fact i i have a, a wonderful quote um from saint john chrysostom that he made about uh, life in general can i read it to you please yeah yeah i think you'll like it and i think the the men who are taking encouragement from you will like it too these are these are the golden mouths words he says he says this present life is a wrestling school a gymnasium a battle a smelting furnace and a dyer's house of virtue mm -hmm. This is his fivefold description of this of this current life: a wrestling school, a gymnasium, a battle, a smelting furnace where you're getting burned down and remade, and a dyer's house of virtue. This is a you know, in order to die, you have your skins and you're constantly hitting them and you're pouring uh, dye on them and you're mm. combing them. And this is our life, and it's constantly. smelly and it's toxic and it's fumes and all that kind of stuff as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, and it's rough. Right. And anyone who is in one of those five realities, uh, if he's looking for rest all the time and he's looking for ease, he's going to be perpetually disappointed. Ease is coming. The perfect is coming. But it's not here yet. And we have to trust that the measure of difficulty, and in your case, this means being an Orthodox Christian in a land of very limited resources for fellowship. Mm -hmm. That is not an accident from God. That is something that God gave you with his own hand in your life. You know, if you look at an icon of Christ, he's always looking right at you. He's not like this. He's right <laughs> like this. And his hand is here mm -hmm. between him and you. And what that's saying is, one, he sees you. Number two, Everything that's going to come to you from him is going to go through those fingers for blessing. So nothing that's in your life is an accident. 
Nothing is disconnected from Jesus's personal choice of what you need. And it is a blessing. It's all designed for a blessing. In St. Paul's words, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So whatever the trial is, mm -hmm. a Christian says, I know this is from God. Now, in your case, maybe uh, it's, he wants you to treasure people because of their absence, treasure them more and more in a way you would never be able to cultivate that sense of being of treasuring people if you had available 50 brothers who lived down the block, mm -hmm. right? And you could always find someone to be in close fellowship with. You, maybe you're going to cherish and love what you will have in the future in a way that you never would if you didn't go through this. Maybe he wants you to suffer the lack of the fellowship because he wants you to raise this issue as you're doing right now to a high level so that those who do have the opportunities for fellowship but are not using them will because they're looking at you saying, oh my gosh, here's my dear brother who would like to have this great fellowship of men and he doesn't have it. I have these men available to me, but I'm wasting my time. I'm working too much and I'm not spending enough time with the brothers. Mm. Those are just two possibilities. I'm sure there's plenty more in God's providence. Yeah. But cultivating fellowship, this is just basic. You know, in the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter two, just after the day, just after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church, we have this uh, snippet, this window into what is basic Christian life. And it says that the disciples were dedicated to the apostles' teaching to the prayers, to the breaking of bread, and to kinonia, those four things. Prayers, Eucharist, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, kinonia. So it's not uh, an option. It's not an option. Mm. So you're in a very unfortunate circumstance, and there are plenty like that. I'm in contact, as I'm sure plenty of priests are who make themselves available on the internet, with people who are in foreign lands, more foreign than yours with less Christian expression than yours. And it's very important for people in those circumstances to recognize how important it is to take up a pilgrimage. Yeah. Pilgrimage is basic for us. And to, uh, to, to go and seek out the Christian community and to make brothers, even if it involves a long trip, you got to do it. Absolutely. You know, I'm reading to my children right now one of my favorite lives of the saints. He's a, he's a person, he's not well known uh, in, the, in the Orthodox world. He was born one year before the Norman invasion of England. So he's born in 1065. And that's usually the cutoff for Orthodox between an Orthodox England and a Catholic England. Mm -hmm. His name is Godric, St. Godric of Finkel. Mm -hmm. And when I, lived, when I lived in Britain, I, my house was like a half mile from his hermitage which has been preserved for a thousand years. And uh, he was uh, he grew up there in the in the northern part of England. And he was um he was a very simple merchant. He was a seafarer first. He was he was a merchant marine and then he became a merchant on land and eventually he became uh, a a devotee of St Cuthbert and became this great hermit and miracle worker who practiced it, you you could have just dropped him on Mount Athos. He was he was, he was doing the Jesus prayer, living in asceticism, exactly as, as our monks do from then until today. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring him up is because he made pilgrimage three times on foot to Rome, twice to Jerusalem. 
<laughs> and and when he went to Jerusalem, he took his mother, and she was not healthy, and he carried her on his shoulder across all waterways, all rough ground. He ended up living. He ended up for the last forty years of his life never wearing shoes. He had no pillow. <laughs> he slept on on boards with the uh, the wild animals. But it, that kind of, you know, he did it to be near the saints. He did it to be uh, near Christ. That kind of attitude, that kind of putting his soul's accomplishments first, this is what we have to do, especially when you're in tight spots like this. Do something extreme yeah. to find the fellowship. Yeah, well, I mean, I just visited Mount Athos this uh, February. That was amazing and fantastic and incredibly valuable. We, I managed to get two other Scandinavian Orthodox guys to join me on that trip, and it was a very, very great. Don't you feel like experience. you can live off that grace for some time? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's such a great thing. Yeah, and and, and Holy, just, Holy yeah. Week, getting somewhere for Holy Week and Pascha. You know, we were talking about Father Zacharias earlier. He told me something. I brought him here in 2003 to do, my gosh, that was 20 years ago, mm. to do a retreat here in my parish. And he said something I've never forgotten. He was encouraging the people to take Holy Week seriously. He said, there's enough grace in Holy Week to sustain a person's spiritual life for the entire year. Mm. So making pilgrimage, making these kind of commitments like you're doing, you can live off of these. No, I've, I've found like just going to these places, these strongholds, these fortresses of the Orthodox faith. I think that, you know, this problem is a very positive problem. It reflects that Orthodoxy is growing. There's the amount of information, especially available in English, which more and more people can speak, uh, is just exploding right now. And so, so many people are coming to this. They're seeing how so many other institutions around them are collapsing in our civilization. And they're looking for what stands firm. And more and more yes. people are seeing like, well, Orthodox Christianity that's standing firm and that's something i can trust yes. and the more you dig in it the more the more powerful and strong it is uh, yes, so, and, that's and what certainly we have at to these be. monasteries yeah that's exactly what we have to be so when they come in it's not just the idea of orthodoxy but they see people who are taking their drumbeat not from the world but from the saints mm -hmm. and living the same life pursuing the same things and supporting our families in doing that, that's the real challenge. You know, one thing is just to talk about this on YouTube. Another thing is to go home and do it. Um, and and for me, it, it really is this central aspect. So actually, I know we, we just have five minutes left, um, And but I want to use it. You know, if I have a friend, a, an Orthodox Christian, a guy who I really love and appreciate, you know, how do I, I, I find like this, this love relationship between men. It's a delicate thing. We've become so used to being cushioned in our lives and not to have people talk directly to us. So it's it's so difficult to have the right level of challenge and kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of thing with um, with with with, you know, waiting for the man to be ready to bring something himself or something like that as well. Right. Like, you know, there's, I always find myself and I have a sense that you're going to tell me like, pray uh, that's that you need to pray more. And I guess that's what I keep on telling myself. And maybe I'm failing at that to a certain extent, but I just, it's hard to navigate and not scare guys away. And, you know, or like offend well, them. You should not be worrying about that. Or, or maybe I sometimes I'm too like standoffish, right? And don't don't yeah, get involved. Don't, don't worry. You know, honestly, I I constantly tell people, Paul, the yeah. greatest gift, the greatest gift you can give to your wife, 
the greatest gift you can give to your children, the greatest gift that you can give to your friends, and in this case, let's say your, your male friends, is your own interior life. Many people, when they when they have when they get a their first child and they start thinking about parenting, oh, how what how am I supposed to do this? And they they read books and they're thinking about how to do that. I'm like, no, no, that's fine to read those things, but none of that's going to matter if you don't have the offering of your own life. If you're trying to teach your children how to confess when they come to confessional age, the most important thing is for them to have seen you their whole upbringing confessing. They watch you confess. They they you come to them and ask forgiveness for the sins that you have done, and then they go, "Oh my gosh, this is not words. My father is living this." And it's the same with your friends. If you want your friends, if you want to build deep friendship and have an incredible male kinonia, the thing to do is be an incredible male. Mm -hmm. Do it yourself. Seek God. Repent. Listen to your spiritual father. Take the advice of the church. Work hard without complaining. When you fail, own it and repent. And then be with your brothers, not as their teacher. You don't have to teach anybody anything. What you'll do is shine the light, right? If you if you cultivate that, just being near someone who has a hot light, you, you light up, you get on fire. I, I don't really think we men it, it have to worry so much about that. We should just be serious ourselves and hang out with other people who share our seriousness and let it work out. Yeah. You know, I, when I, when I see the young men, I, my parish is full of men and especially young, young men everywhere. Thank God. I, I love to smile at them. I love to kiss them. And I always punch them right in the chest. Just boom, like that. And they laugh. Sometimes they laugh at first if they're just coming to the church. But then they grow to love it. You know, we men, we have our way. We make our way. We slap each other on the back. We don't greet each other like we're women. Women have their own way too. And it's super beautiful for women. But this is us. This is us. And I don't go around thinking, oh, gosh, maybe I shouldn't punch that man in the chest. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just punch him because for me, it's affection. Mm -hmm. It's affection. I'm not trying to say to him, look, you know, I'm not fighting him. And I'm certainly not trying to in any way hurt him. It's not, it's not, it's just. You know, it, but it's it's also like, hey, we mean business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's just like a as you walking the right path, and I think that that confidence grows uh, in in knowing that you're doing the right thing, and that that's what I think. I think sometimes this reflecting on the ends of what I'm doing and then trying to adjust what I'm doing is is, is it becomes a kind of like a too much of a self reflective trap or something like that, and I, I think that's what I find myself falling into. And that's why I said, like, you know, when I do, when I notice myself going in these loops of thinking how I'm doing things with other people, I realize, like, well, I just need to pray more and I need to work on myself more. I need to draw closer to God for myself more. And then men will see me and they'll be inspired by me. And and if, yeah. if that's not just they happening, are, are seeing you. it's myself that I need to. Yeah. I see you. Well, thank you, you, Father. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for that. No, I really, I appreciate your efforts, Paul. And, Glory to God. God loves us. He's merciful and gracious. And we make mistakes all the time. And to forgive everyone their mistakes towards us is a great way to have other people also forgive you your mistakes. God is merciful. And uh, let's just be humble. And God will show us the way. 
Amen. Thank you, Father Josiah, for your time. Really appreciate it. And we're going to be diving into individual saints as models of masculinity. Maybe we're going to have you come on and talk about St. Andrew if you're up for that. Uh, that would be uh, fantastic if you're if we can uh, see if you'll still you. if you'll still have me after this uh, rough and tumble horseback ride we just took. Thanks very much. OK, God be with you, brother. Same to you. Thank you. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen.